It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, I forgot, I think it was about Tuesday, I was just sitting in my chair doing some study, and I got a text uh, from Justin Milton, and I was going, what's he texting me on a Tuesday morning for? Because he went to camp, I thought. And I pulled up the text, and he, my granddaughter found him, and so they're sitting there smiling. And then a little bit later, here came another text, and my grandson, Branson, and him were doing it. And so I did not realize that when y'all were going to camp, you're going to cross churches camp or something like that. And my grandkids were working that camp. And so they said this, they really like Justin, but he's crazy. <laughs> so evidently you already know that, but I looked over to so I could t- look right at him when I said that, and he's not here. So I, I thought maybe he's just so worn out from children's camp, that, but he had other things he had to do today. So I understand that. Uh, my granddaughter, who uh, she pulls no punches when she speaks. She's a senior. She likes something, she tells you. If she doesn't like something, she tells you. So I said, what were the kids like at Greenville from Ridgecrest? And her, you'll like this, those were the best kids at camp. She honestly said those were the best kids. I had more fun with them. And she said, her and Brant's are going to come with me some Sunday before he goes back to college so they can see all those kids again. So they had a, a great time. This morning as I was getting ready, my wife was in the bathroom putting her makeup on, doing all the stuff she does, and she's got tears in her eyes. And she's been crying. And my first thought was, I wonder who passed away. And that wasn't it. She had just found out that Branson is leading worship at Cross Church this morning for the first time, and nobody knew it. He didn't tell anybody in his family till this morning. So I kind of wish I wasn't here at this moment. I'd be right on the front row giving him a hard time while he tried to sing. I didn't even know he could sing, so it'll be interesting. When I get home this afternoon, I'll have to put up the video and see uh, what his abilities are. But anyway, I was excited to hear that. And then a lot of you made mention already this morning out front that the way I'm dressed. Somebody said, this makes them happy, this shirt. Well, this is how I dressed for my last five years as pastoring, but I didn't know what to expect when I came here, so I had a coat on, but I am comfortable. I feel back to normal again for the first time ever, so we'll see what unfolds this day. And hopefully we'll get a good sermon today, so we'll all be prepared for the heat this week. Be about 104, 105 all week long, so welcome to Texas, and we should have a good time. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be in verses 14 through 17 this morning. Uh, We'll be dealing with the last uh, two of the, not the last two, but the the next two, let's do it that way, the next two armors, which are really very critical and important because they're now your reaction, really it's your reaction Uh, to all that has been said so far and how to face the very difficult days. So here's where we are today. What we've looked at over the last four or five weeks is that we're to be strong in the Lord. That is a command after Paul's written everything he's told the church at Ephesus. They were going to have to have strength about their life. It's a command in the old and the new that you and I are to always be strong. True courage always comes after you exert strength in anything you do. And so we're called to be strong. And the thing you got to realize is, and we hit this a few weeks ago, you have the capability to do this. You have the capability to handle anything that comes in your life. And it's not an exaggeration of a preacher or anyone else at this particular point. You have that capability because Christ in you gives you that ability. Paul said that very clearly. I've quoted it two or three times, but I always love to go back to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ now lives 
in me and through me, accomplishing his good will and his good purposes that he wants done within our lives. So anytime we face the evil day or a tough day or just a normal day, we have the strength to be able to do that. And you say, well, I, you know, I just don't know. You do. And we'll see today where that, that mindset needs to come from so that you can be able to handle whatever happens. You need the full armor of God to be able to withstand that. And we've been looking at those parts because we've been called to do what? Stand firm. When life hits us hard, we're to be standing there. We're not being knocked off our feet. We're not being taken down, but we stand there and we give strength. Uh, we give glory to the Father as he gives us strength to be able to do that. Standing firm, three commands here. Three times over and over, that's what you and I are doing. The armor gives us the ability to do that. We've also seen that we have a real enemy, and his name is Satan. Jesus made reference to it. Paul's made reference to it, and it's real. We, in fact, we spent one whole Sunday a few weeks ago looking at all the methods that he deploys to try to lead you and I astray in life, and they're real. The temptations, the, the deception that he brings are very, very real, and every one of us face that. And we also learn this. And this is one of the most important parts of all of this. We do not battle each other. That's what we have a tendency to do. But our battle is not against each other. Our battle is against powers and principalities and the evil forces that are in the world. And that is real. We don't always see that with our eyes. We more see it within people and want to attack a person. But we're called not to do that because our battle is against those evil spirits and powers. It also, we learn, you have to struggle and fight this fight. Now, I, I saw this week that, uh, that the guy who runs Facebook and the guy who builds Teslas are going to get in a cage and fight. I don't pay to watch fights. I might pay to watch that one. <laughs> but life for all of us is a fight. You, you struggle through life. It never gets easy. You think, well, when I get to be older, the struggle doesn't get easier the older you get. I think it gets a little tougher. You know, when you hit your 70s, as I'm entering here in a couple weeks, you don't want to know something? The pain's a little bit more than normal. The energy level disappears awful quickly. The concerns of all the family now, I'm the oldest in all the Branson family, and so they call me all the time. I'm still being swamped by everybody from San Antonio for advice and help, and would I make some contacts for them? It, life just keeps adding more and more and more to all that goes on. It doesn't ever get easier. You know, sometimes I wish it did. I thought when I retired, I'd just plop into my chair and take it easy and live out the last few years. I've not done anything like that. I've gone to the football field. I've come here to Greenville. I'm doing about four other things. I have a radio program that I'm doing now uh, on the internet. I'm just staying as busy as I possibly can. It doesn't get easier. And I hit the bed at 9.30 at night. If you'd have told me I went to bed at 9.30, I'd have thought you're the craziest person in the world. But I ran out of energy. So life from the little time you're little till you get older is a struggle. And we've seen that. But the amazing thing is, we have the strength, and he gives us the ability to get through it. And it means we're going to make it. The struggle is worth it. How did Paul finish when he wrote that last letter? I fought a good fight. I fought a good fight. I finished the course that God called me to. 
and I still have the faith. That's what you and I want to be able to say, and that's what Paul's trying to teach us as we go through all of this. What else have we learned? Well, in struggle, it does mean this. You're going to get hurt. I wish I could tell you that you could go through life and not have to suffer the pains of life, but you're going to get hurt. If you enter the game of life, there are going to be times you're going to take a hit. I've used the football off and on, but on a football field, 95% of the plays that the kids play in are okay. They don't, they don't, nothing really bothers them out there. The hits aren't really that bad, but there are going to be four or five plays in which they get so, hit so hard that when they go back to the huddle, they're stung. They're sore. They're hurting. We were playing Buna one of the small towns in East Texas, and Bill Brim was the toughest kid that ever played football for Little Cypress. And he got hit so hard, and he's standing in a huddle, and, and Bill was our leader, and I was out playing safety. And he got in the huddle, and I looked, and tears are pouring down his face. He said, guys, I can't go anymore. I'm hurt. And he's left the field, and the coach says, get back out there. And he had to turn around and come back and join the huddle. And with tears in his eyes, he ended up making the tackle on the next play. I was always amazed at how he could hang in there amidst the toughest. But that's life. Sometimes you're not going to get hit hard by life. And we can do one of two things. We can quit and leave the game. Or we'll just kind of shake it up a little bit and eventually we get back up because Christ is with us. And for every one of us, there will come moments that you and I will have the evil day. It's not a bunch of them. I can list two or three times in my life I would call evil days that affected my life. But all of us at one time or another will have that. And even when that day comes, we're going to do it. Because we'll resist, we'll stand against, and we'll stand firm. And you know what? Moments like that define you for the rest of your life. And what you want it to be defined by is that God gave you the strength and the ability and the courage to walk through it. You do not want to be defined by the fact that you failed, you collapsed, and you gave up, and you quit. Too many people in life have done that. That's what Paul doesn't want from us. He wants us to finish well, so no matter what happens, we can get through it. Last week, we looked at the first three pieces of armor. One was, gird your loins with truth. Now, I heard just a moment ago that somebody, that sermon really struck home, and they went to the grocery store, and they heard me say, gird their loins, so they went and bought a pork loin. I was not making that point. I'm glad you enjoyed your pork loin, but that was not the point of the sermon. But we, what we do is, is that we gird our loins with truth. Everything that you and I do, that we do in life has to be built upon the truth of God's Word. Whether you like it or not, it's built upon the truth of God's Word. And the culture in which we live in today that has gone so far from that, you will be a light shining brightly in a dark world if you stand with truth. But you stand for the truth whether anybody stands with you or not, you stand with the truth. That's what means getting ready with truth. Second thing, breastplate of righteousness. I made the point last week, practical righteousness. What I mean by that, live a good life. You want life to work for you? Live a good life. Treat people in a good way. Do morally what God's called you to do. Struggle and do everything, but do it correctly and do it right. And God will richly bless that. Proverbs is very clear about that when you walk through the Proverbs. Live a good life. And then lastly, the readiness of the gospel of peace. Your shoes as you walk through life is built on what? Jesus Christ and nothing less. He's the one who gave us peace with the Father. That brings peace within our heart and gives us the ability to be able to walk through life. Now that sets the stage for what we're going to do today. So if you'd stand with me, let's read verses 14 through 17 as we key on 
two more that are found in verses 16 and 17. But here's what it says. Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, in addition, are, are, are all together, take up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which we'll look at next week, which is the Word of God. Join with me as we pray. Father, speak to us in a clear way. These next two are really important because it's what we do with everything that we've talked about so far. So help us to see this, help us to put it in our life, and may you be glorified by all that happens. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First thing, shield of faith. Now, you've watched enough old movies of Roman soldiers and all the other ancient civilizations. Every one of them always had a shield. We even see that today with our police forces, especially when they're dealing with riots. They give them these big shields. Well, they had these big shields. One was a small round one, and that small round one was used for hand-to-hand combat. You'd put it on this arm, you'd have your sword in this hand, and you would fight, and it was up close. Battles back in this day were close, one-on-one, hand-to-hand, always. But the other one was for when the arrows came. It was four foot tall. It was two foot wide. And that was what was used so that when they would, you've seen the movies, those archers, and that was a huge deal back in the day. Those archers would shoot those arrows, and here they'd come. Hundreds, if not thousands of arrows coming at you as you're standing there. And those men in that day were accurate with their arrows. They knew how to shoot a bow. They could do it in a way that would stun all of us if we had watched it. And here they would come, and they would put these shields up in a phalanx. They would be a battle line, and there they would be ready, and those arrows would come in and hit. Those shields did what for the Roman soldier? It provided them cover. So when the attack came, they could be able to protect themselves. But another thing about this that I think is very important, the shield does not work. Two feet is about like this. Four feet is about right here. So you're going to hold it like this. Trouble is, an arrow shot from this angle, I'm sunk. I may have the shield in front of me, but if he shot from here, and you know, don't have straight lines in battle, they come from different directions, and maybe they're countering and coming on the flank or whatever it may be. What the Roman soldiers did, and I think this is so fascinating about what Paul does, each soldier would take their shield, they would stand behind it, this guy that was next to him would get next to him, put his tail down, and they would come together. And they would form a line all the way across so that the guys on both sides of you were there to protect you. Part of the shield of faith is this. You and I need each other during moments of evil days. You're not going to make this by yourself when Satan comes against you. You need the shield of other people's faith of Christ who stand next to you to help you as you walk through that. We provide protection to each other. That's why the gathering together of the body of Christ is so important. Each one of us are a small part of the body of Christ. You might be the finger, the hands. You'd be all the different parts. But we need each other. You cannot function by yourself. And so that shield also implies they come together. But I want you to notice what the passage does not say. It does not say the shield of the faith. It's the shield of faith. The faith we've already dealt with. That was girding your loins with truth. The faith is the first three chapters of Ephesians. All the amazing statements of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. 
But the, what this is talking about is it's not the doctrine. But this is the point that you and I stand in a situation and we do this. I trust the Father in heaven that he will take care of me. It's assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a quiet confidence in the midst of an evil day. It's going to be okay. This is the point you come in your life where you say, I really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I believe that he lives in my heart, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to walk through life no matter what comes. That's what the shield of faith is. I trust him no matter what, because the storms are real. The storms of life are real. We've been seeing these storms sweeping through our, our, our area the last few days with hell and, and potential tornadoes and everything else. That's real. That happens in life. Well, it happens in all aspects of our lives. My brother was telling me the other day, we were talking, he, he hates this time of the year now because of all the hurricanes that hit southeast Texas. When he and I were kids growing up, we went through two. We went through Audrey and we went through Carla. Dad literally rode us out through Audrey, which scared us to death. It was 120 mile an hour winds all night long. We didn't stay for Carla, but it devastated our communities in which we lived in. We came back into that and had to help everybody else kind of rebuild and get going again. Well, Southeast Texas in the last 10 to 12 years has been hit four or five times hard. And the last one, Harvey, was devastating. I don't know if you were down there. I went and helped in any shape, form, or fashion with the recovery we did. I was shocked at what I saw. I grew up there. I knew this area. The trees are gone now because they've all been knocked down. I was shocked at how many trees were missing from the forest and everything else. But the water levels is what stunned me. 25 to 30 miles inside, four foot of water everywhere. Flat East Texas, 20 miles from the coast, four foot of water. My brother's car was buried underwater along with others. They had scratches on the top of them because of the airboats and other boats going across them. That's how much floodwaters came in. And everybody's homes were being destroyed by all that happened. That's the storms of life. It happened to them, 36 inches of rain in one evening. Well, sometimes that happens in our lives. We get hit with a 36 inch of rain situation and it, it hurts. And what we do at that particular moment is like a wave of arrows from Satan are coming at us. It's at that moment as they're coming, those flaming arrows, that there's every kind of temptation now to ungodly behavior. There is every kind of temptation to doubt or to despair. There's every kind of temptation of giving in to the external of the attack, like a persecution or a false teacher. But what I am to do at that moment is, I put my shield up. Not literally stand like this, but I sit there in that situation. I say what? I believe that the Father in heaven is who he says he is. I believe God's word. I honestly believe the truths that he has told me, and I'm going to stand on those truths. That's what this is about. That's what protects you. That's what when the errors come in, it's like there really is a shield in front of you. Those doubts, those fears, those attacks, they will not impact you nor influence you at all. And it's at this moment, again, you're defined by how you respond. You're defined by how you respond. And it's at this moment you make a decision. I trust God. How do you come to Christ? We just had the picture a moment ago, a very beautiful picture. I always like that. When you watch somebody who's made that decision, how do you get up in the baptistry? Well, when I was baptized as a kid, I was baptized at the age of nine. I went up because my buddy had gone up before to revival. So I wanted to do the same thing. 
When I was 20 years of age, a friend of mine shared the gospel. I got mad at him. I already know that stuff. I go to church. Don't talk to me about church stuff. I was at a church camp. I went to be a sponsor. They didn't know I shouldn't have been the sponsor. I really needed to be the one sent to it. But Ed sat there. Ed's a close friend of this day. lives in, in Tennessee, and we still talk occasionally. He sat down with me and shared with it. I got mad, but the next day it clicked, and I made, made sense. And I made a decision I never made in my life. I accepted Christ that night quietly where I was at. Later went back to my home church, had them baptize me. My preacher thought I was a little crazy, but I knew I needed to be baptized. That my baptism as a kid was just to be baptized and dunk and get wet. I now knew who Christ was, and I wanted to stand with that. That's what all of us have done in this room who confessed Jesus as Lord. There was a moment in time that you came to the point, I just trust Christ. Do you know that when you face the evil day or the dark moment, you do the same thing? Do you know every day you get up, you're doing the same thing? You're just trusting Christ? That first step of faith is not it. I think I grew up in Baptist churches thinking all you're supposed to do is come down, shake the preacher's hand, make a decision, go to the baptistry, go back, and then they'd preach an evangelistic sermon every Sunday, and you'd pray everybody else would find that moment. But it didn't. I never thought in terms of Jesus in my daily life. I never thought about the truths of God's Word in my daily life. I mean, I was faithful in church. I didn't have a choice. Mom and Dad made us go to church every single day. I mean, we were there. We did all the stuff. So I lived at the church in the day in which I grew up in, and that's just the way it was. But it wasn't real. There has to come a point in time that it, it's real. Guys, it's important. Christ lives, and he lives in us, and it needs to be an impact every single moment of our lives as we live through life and as we go through life knowing he is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, but he's always there watching over us. Paul said that when he says, as you receive Christ, so walk in him. Walk by faith. It's a shield. It's your protection when tough times come. And remember this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of all those who seek him. Let me use Hebrews 11 because I just quoted the verse from Hebrews 11:6. Did not Noah do that? Noah was a righteous man. Are we not taught that? That he was a very godly, good man in the midst of one of the most ungodliest situations uh, that the world may have ever known. That every thought of man, it said, during those days was continually evil. And yet he was a man who believed in God. But when the days came and God said to him in the midst of all the evil, I want you to build a boat. It's been a hundred years doing that. Okay, I want you to find some animals. They hear they all show up. He didn't have to find them, but he has to get in there. He has to seal it. Do you know he had to kind of look a little crazy to everybody else? But God had spoken to him. He had a truth. And what he did, Scripture says, he walked by faith in Hebrews 11. In his day of evil, he walked by faith. And that was a shield that protected he and his family. How about Sarah? She's in there too. She always wanted a child. She could never have one. Uh, at 75, when they moved, or she would be 65, and Abraham was 75, they moved again. Her days of having children, long gone. God said, as they're making that move, I'm going to make descendants from you guys. They'll be filled. You can't even count more than the stars or the sand on the seashore. And so that had to spark a little bit of hope in her, even at 65 years of age. But year after year passed, nothing ever happened. About 13 years passed. Nothing's happened, so she goes to Abraham, says, take Hagar as a wife also, have a child with her. She agreed, and 
Abraham's biggest mistake he probably ever made was listening to his wife on that moment. And it got him in all kinds of trouble. And she got angry about it when the baby came. You know the story. And so now 12 more years are going to pass. And one day she hears an angel say to, to uh, Abraham, You're gonna have a, she's going to have a baby. And she's 90. That was impossible in those days. But yet a miraculous birth was going to unfold. She even laughs. But you know what scripture said? She believed God. At the age of 90, what was coming to be for her a very disappointing moment in life of never having children, being 90, and hear somebody say that, her first reaction laughing, but if she thought about it, she believed God and said this. She considered God was faithful who had promised. God had said, you'll have a son. And she got to see that day come. How about Rahab the harlot? Your city is going to be destroyed. Here comes these people that the reputation of the nation of Israel is coming. And Jericho is facing this. She's facing evil days. Hebrews says that she welcomed the spies. Even though she was not of them, she welcomed them in her home. They gave her, they put a thread outside your window. And when the walls come down, you will be spared. But it says by faith, she trusted God on that evil day for her. How about Jeremiah? I used him last week. He got hit by evil days over and over and over. You and I, none of us would want to be called the ministry like Jeremiah had, but through it all, he had that shield of faith. And even when he's pitched in, as I said last week, the cistern, and he's facing certain death at that moment, he's trusting God. And Scripture says he walked by faith. Here's what Jesus said one day when his brothers and his sisters and his mom all showed up, and they said, your family's out here. He looked at everybody and he said Listen, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's what the shield of faith is. We hear God's word, we do it. And then when the moments come of life, the forces of anger and lies and attacks may come against us. We trust God to do the perfect will within our lives. And you know what happens? He protects us even in the midst of all that, the shield of faith. But now the next one's important, the helmet. The helmet of verse 17, the helmet of salvation. But listen to this. It's used from Isaiah 59. It says, he put on a breastplate, a righteousness like a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. Paul interprets that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of our salvation. So what I want them to do this is the helmet provides protection because what does it give us? It gives us hope. Hope. Hope comes from our understanding of salvation. Hope comes from our understanding of salvation. And you can't live without hope. The helmet does provide protection. It doesn't soften the blows of life. Any of you guys out there who put on a football helmet, you know that it helps, but it doesn't always work real well. Sometimes your brain gets rattled pretty good by a good hit out there. So that's time we're hit. We're confused by the hit. We might even see stars. We might not even know who our name is for a moment at that point. All of us in life can get hit at moments like that. You know, I've referenced early when I first came here about the death of my sister. That was an evil day in, our, in my life. I, I hit so hard. I can remember absolutely nothing of the following week. I always thought that was crazy when I'd hear people who went through tragedies say it's kind of blanked out. Oh, I remember some things, but... I don't remember what was said at the funeral. I don't remember who came by the house, and everybody in orange came by our house to visit mom and dad. 
I, 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 my church evidently in, in San Antonio responded well to support during that time, but I couldn't tell you one thing that went on. So I know that sometimes we get hard, almost done the point. You're not really certain what you're doing or re- reacting in the next few moments. But that helmet does what? It gives you eventually hope. Even when hit hard, once you take a deep breath and you stand there and begin to reflect and to think, you realize something. Our God is with us. Our God will not leave us. Our God will not forsake us. Our God gives us the strength and the courage to be able to live. My God has said, even if the time comes, he's going to call me home through this circumstance or situation, I will enter into his presence. There is no condemnation those who are in Christ. I am told that sometimes, or all times, God causes all things to work together for good. I am told that nothing separates me from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. No power or authority in the world separates me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That hope is real. It is unbelievably real. So when we take the hit, it may stun us. It may shake us for a moment. But we refocus once we clear the cobwebs out of our lives and out of our minds and we refocus on who we are in Christ, that hope will become so strong that it'll give us the ability to get up and live life. I think probably the hardest hit you can take in life is the death of a loved one. I was heading to Tyler from San Antonio. My mom had been in intensive care unit for 14 days. She had given an all clear by the doctor on a Friday. They came down to San Antonio to celebrate my dad's birthday. My mom woke up on a Sunday morning. They were going to go to church with me. I was preaching that morning at Village. They were going to go to listen to me to preach. But when she walked out at 5 o'clock in the morning and I was sitting in my chair studying, I knew immediately something was wrong. I went and woke Dad up. I said, something's wrong with Mom. He rushed her, and she was in the intensive care unit that night in Tyler. Well, two weeks later, it was not good, and it was going downhill fast. So I'm taking my brother's place. We're swapping back and forth to be with Dad as mom's in the intensive care unit. And so I just finished the seminary teaching. I hopped in my car and was driving to Tyler when my dad called and said, son, don't hurry. I was about halfway there. She won't be here when you get here. So I hung up. My dad shouldn't have called because I set a land speed record through Highway 30 to Tyler. And God was with me because I didn't see one cop as I was doing 95 miles an hour. But I made it there in time and was with dad and was with mom. And when she breathed her last, I was holding her as she went into the presence of the Father in heaven. It was tough on me, but it devastated my dad. It, 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 it just devastated him. 53 years of marriage. They, they were lovebirds my whole life. They, they held hands. They did things together. They loved life. And this was not expected, and she was gone. So I know how painful death can be. But I'll go to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. and says, we don't grieve as the rest who have no hope. See, we grieve with hope. It's my dad's hope that got him back up on his feet. My dad lived 18 more years after mom's death. There for a little bit, I didn't even know if he was going to make the next few weeks or months after her death because he was so devastated by it. I was preaching one Sunday in Village Parkway, and I was preaching Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. 
And I've dealt with the passage in verse 6. It says, Be anxious nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ. And my dad heard that that night, and he went home to the house that he had there. He'd moved to San Antonio to be with me. He had a house down the street from me. And he went in, he shut it, he didn't call anybody, he shut the door, got on his knees and said, Father in heaven, I have not been thankful. So today I want to tell you this. I am thankful that I met Wilma. I am thankful that we got married. I am thankful that we had kids together. I'm thankful for 53 years of life. And he went through all this stuff and he said, Son, later what you said in the sermon happened. A peace settled over me for the first time in months. And I knew it was going to be okay. And I would see Wilma again. And he got up and rebuilt his life and had a great life. I got to share a lot of great times with him because of that. See, we grieve. Sometimes it's real, but we grieve with hope. That's what the helmet does. We have hope. It's very real. Here do you, here's how you get it, though. Romans 5 gives you detail to how to get it. Verse 3 through 5 says this, we exult in tribulation. Now, I honestly know that a lot of times we don't. But Paul calls us to that. When tribulation comes to us and we're being pressed, we're not exulting, but we should be. Paul says we exult. James says the same thing, Jesus' brother. Consider it all joy, my brethren, and encounter various trials. We're to exult in our tribulation because we know something. What do we know? This is one of the hopes. We know that tribulation and exulting in tribulation brings about perseverance. Why does it do that? If I'm exulting in tribulation, I'm not being destroyed by what's happening in my life, but I am reacting in the right way, and what I'm doing is I'm hanging in there. And the longer I hang in there, the more perseverance I develop, the more I see God at work in the most dramatic of ways. And so out of perseverance comes what? Perseverance comes proven character. Because I prove that really Christ in me is real. My character is good. I'm, I'm striving to get up. Through this perseverance, we reveal to others and ourselves that our character is now what it ought to be. And out of proven character comes what? Hope. Hope. And Romans 5.5 5 makes this point. Hope does not disappoint. Too many people have lived in complete, total disappointment by life. And they don't do well. I'm here to tell you today, you have a hope. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Live it every single day. I'm going to go to illustrate. I, back in July 4th, this is going to be about six years ago, a friend of mine who's a policeman in San Antonio called and said, Steve, I'm going to Gettysburg on the 4th of July. Do you want to go? My wife doesn't want anything to do with this. If she can't shop, she's not going. And I said, I'll go. Let me clear it with my wife, but I'm I'm, I'm going. And I told Jan, she said, good, go, because I don't want to do that. She, my wife doesn't like history. She doesn't know geography. She could care less about any of that kind of stuff. She just knows how to do um, Amazon and places like that. And so she could care less about the rest of it. And I'll get in trouble already. So if you quote me, I'll call you liars. <laughs> I had more fun doing the Civil War tour. We were at Gettysburg for three days. Uh, we went to Harper's Ferry. We went to, uh, uh, gosh, Fredericksburg. But one that really, and I was at Antibur, uh, I can't, oh, it's slipping my mind. It's where we lost more soldiers in one day than we've ever lost before. I stood in a ditch where the guys died. I, I just walked those fields over and over, north and south. 
learn lessons of how war worked during that time frame. But the one that got me was Manasseh, Bull Run. Bull Run, we had a southern general. His name was Stonewall Jackson. Now, you get in trouble nowadays when you tell anybody any good story about a Confederate officer, but he was a good man. He wasn't fighting for slavery. He was fighting for his state. That's the only reason he got into battle. He was a Union soldier. He was an officer in the Union Army, and he switched over to defend the state of Virginia. And the guy was a brilliant tactician. And if he had lived, then the whole history of America might be totally different. But at Bull Run, he made a name for himself. And I stood there. There's a horse there. He was a big man. He was huge. He had arms like this. I mean, he looked like he was in the gym lifting weights all the time. And they said that that the, the whole monument was a replica exactly of this horse and him. And he's sitting there. And what would be about 100 yards that way, a line across there, are the northern cannons. And he sat on his horse. The whole northern line was about 75 to 100 yards away. And he's sitting on his horse giving orders. General B is over to the left. General B has been wounded severely and is dying. And he looks at his men and they're looking to him. What do we do? What do we do? They're right on the left flank of the Union Army. And he says, look at Jackson. Look over to Jackson. He is a stone wall. He's just sitting there on his horse with a battle going crazy around him. He's a lightning rod for everything happening. And he's just sitting there barking orders, giving, and they won the battle because of Stonewall Jackson. He got the name because of that. Afterwards, his soldiers and some of the Union soldiers began to ask him, the prisoners they had, how could you sit on a horse in the middle of that battlefield like you did? How could you just sit there barking orders when everything is going crazy, rifle fire, cannon fire right in your face, and you're sitting there? Well, what stood out about Stonewall was his faith in Jesus Christ. It was so real. And he looked at the men and said, you want to know something, men? I, can't, I cannot die. I cannot die until God says, come home. You know who else believed that way, too? You ever heard the name Martin Luther of the Reformation? He had a moment like that in his life, and he stood courageously because he believed this from Psalms 118, that he would not die until God said it was his day. And Scripture has told us every one of us, every one of our days have been ordained of God. When there was not even one, he's ordained our days. So, so far, he's given me almost 70 years of days. I don't know how many he has ordained within his plan, but I want to do like my mom. She lived to be 70, but she lived out every day until the very last. She lived fully her days. Stonewall was going to live fully his days. And you know what? His faith in Christ and his confidence in what God was going to do gave him the ability and the freedom to lead and to be the kind of man that God wanted him to be. And then he, he led his men in a strong way through the fights of the battle of life. I've looked at that and realized that's what God's called us all to do. When the arrows are coming at us, we're sitting there like Stonewall on a horse. And we're just going, I'm all right. I trust God. You know, it's not, guys, we come to church and we do the Sunday morning thing. You go to a class and talk a few lessons and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of times it doesn't have a whole lot of significance one way or the other. But it ought to. These are amazing truths that you and I get to discuss in a Sunday school class or in a small group or come into the sermon and deal with. And we're called to grapple with this and to reflect and to 
check the scripture against everything that's said so we know what the truth is. So that when we're out there in life and we face these moments, it's easy in here to say, I have faith in Christ. It's easy in here to be able to sing from the depths of your heart because you love the song and the music which we're singing at that particular moment. But the key is, how do you live when you're living out there? How real is Christ to you when you're out there? That's what this is about. That's what Paul said. And when I put on the armor of Christ, you know all I'm doing? I've made a determination. I've got truth, and I've girded my loins. I'm ready. I got the truth. I've learned it today. I've learned it yesterday when I was doing my quiet, whatever it is. I've got it. I'm living as good a life as I possibly can. I'm really striving to try to be a good man or a good woman. And I know that the gospel, I, I believe it. I believe Christ is the only way. I believe in the hope of salvation. That's real. And as I walk through life with those things and suddenly here comes the arrows at me, I put the shield of faith up. I'm going to be all right. My God has not left me nor forsaken me. Nothing separated me from his love. He's with me at this particular moment. And my mind is quiet because you know what? I know it's okay. I have the hope of salvation. And that then gives us a freedom to live. Years ago, I got invited to Oxford to present a paper. And my paper was on 1 Corinthians 13, 13. At Oxford University to liberal deans from American universities. And all I said was, we have three things. I bring to education, since we were doing that part of it. I bring faith in Christ. I bring hope in Jesus. And I bring love. Not a very profound, but in another sense, exceptionally profound. Faith in Christ gives us hope, which we've talked about today, which frees me up to love. Most people don't get along with people very well because they don't have hope and because their faith's not as strong as it ought to be. I'm here to challenge you today, guys. Walk with him. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. Build that confidence in him. Faith, assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And then one day you're going to stand there having survived the arrows of Satan Whatever it may be, whatever hardship has come your way, you're going to look back like my dad did and go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for watching over me. You know what happens when you get to that point of thank you? Your faith becomes stronger. Did not Abraham do that? If I go to Romans 4, Abraham was not always a man of faith. During the famine... Turned to his wife, said, say, you're my sister. He wasn't quite lying, but he wasn't telling the truth. Why did he do that? He was scared. Thought he'd die. Question, could he die? Could he have died? The threat was legitimate. It, what he was scared of was real. But could he die? No. It was impossible for Abraham to die at that moment. He said, well, no, he's human like we are. Yes, he was. And he was frail in a sense, just like we all are. Yes, he was. Then why do I say he couldn't die? What did God tell him? What did God told Abraham? One day you'll have a son, and a great nation will follow. He hadn't had the son yet. Now, he wavered off and on, but then after Isaac was born, Scripture says this. He 
He never wavered again. But he grew strong in his faith. And this is what I love. He knew if God said it, it was true. If God said it, it was true. Are you there yet? Father, we thank you for the day and for the privilege and honor you give us to be able to study your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy that has made all of this possible. We thank you for how you have watched over us and taken care of us. And we all admit that there have been times in life that we've been hit hard by stuff and we've not done real well. But you've never given up on us. And you have brought us through that. May we learn lessons that will strengthen our character, that will strengthen our faith, that will strengthen our hope, and will strengthen our love for each other. Father, I pray that you bless each one here. Thank you for the work that you've done in their life. Now be with them as they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But help them to be the kind of men and women you've called them to be is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.